0: Well, here we are, Bruce. This week, we've got a new episode of Star Trek Discovery coming on Thursday. But not only that, the premiere episode of Season 2 of Star Trek Picard coming. It is quite a big week of Star Trek. But before we get to that, we, of course, need to talk about last week's episode, The Galactic Barrier, But before we get to that, we need to talk about the week's Star Trek news. So welcome everyone to Positively Trek. I'm Dan Gunther. With me, of course, as
1: always, is the wonderful Bruce Gibson. Bruce, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. You know, you're saying about this being a big week or a big episode or something, and you're right. But at the same time... Next week's going to be bigger because we're going to be reviewing two episodes of Star Trek at the same time.
0: Yeah. So this week, those two episodes come out, but yeah, next week you're going to be, you're going to have like a, a double dose, a double sized episode of Positively Trek. Uh, And that's, it's going to be that way for three weeks because we've got Picard and Discovery running in tandem For the last three episodes of Discovery's fourth season and the first three episodes of Picard's second. So, man, it's going to be Trek overload. I'm excited and also a little bit scared, but (laughs) mostly excited.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I'm wondering because they're coming out on the same day on Paramount Plus. When I sit down to watch, I have to make a decision. Which one do I watch first?
0: Oh, that's going to be tough. I know yeah, I never thought of that, but yeah. How how do you decide? How do you decide between these two? Do you watch the one that you've been watching or do you get do you watch the newness, the new thing that's just come out? That's a great oh, what a tough choice. <laughs> I
1: think how I'll do it is the one I'm currently watching, right? And just I'll mm. always start with Discovery and then go to Picard. But then when yeah, no, I think yeah, I'll do that because I think by week three of the two overlaps, I'll probably be more anxious to watch the finale of Discovery anyway. Over just that makes sense, third, yeah. you know, episode three of a season of Picard. So yeah, I think I'll always watch Discovery followed by Picard. I feel like if we weren't doing the podcast,
0: I might be tempted. Uh, Let's be honest, I wouldn't do this, but I might be tempted to just watch the three episodes of Discovery as they come out and then binge the Picards to get caught up at that point. But that's not an option for us, A. And B, who am I kidding? I'm going to watch it as soon as I'm able. So, yeah, never mind.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm thinking back to the day when it was Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. But that was different because it was in my market where I lived, which was Philadelphia at the time, and then Atlanta. I think in both markets, they usually showed Next Generation first and then Deep Space Nine second. So I just watched in that order.
0: Yeah, I still remember back in the day, we watched a Denver station. We had Satellite, and we watched a Denver station, and I always remember those promos. They'd have the TNG promo, you know, this week on Star Trek, The Next Generation, Captain Picard, blah, 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 blah. And then when that was done, it would say, and then at eight, Voyage to the Unknown, and then they'd have the Deep Space Nine promo right after that, so... Those were fun days. I remember that.
1: That was great. Those are fun days, yeah, because you could watch it as it aired, but if for some reason you're not going to be home, you would set up your VCR. And if it played Mm -hmm. in that order, then it's on your VCR tape in that order. So you still watch it in that order. Yeah, you just set it to
0: record for two hours and you'd, best case scenario, get Star Trek The Next Generation and then Deep Space Nine. Worst case scenario, you'd get the last half hour of a Colorado Rockies game and then Next Generation and half of Deep Space Nine. So, I've yeah. heard too
1: many stories of people saying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, kids, in
0: some ways, you know, people will talk about the good old days, but in, in a lot of ways, it's a lot better
1: now. You just get to pick when you watch it. <laughs> Absolutely. But then I'm thinking there was the overlap of Voyager and Deep Space Nine, but Voyager was on UPN. And I remember it being on Wednesdays, but I can't remember if it was always on Wednesdays throughout its entire run. But there was never that real issue because Deep Space Nine would be in syndication on the weekends where mm-hmm. Voyager would be on on a weeknight. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, it wasn't quite the same, but yeah, I do remember that for sure. Well, another byproduct of modern technology these days, of course, is your mobile phone, which brings us to our first news story this week, which is that a Star Trek Lower Decks mobile game is in development, and this feature is badgy. So I initially saw this story pop up and said, Star Trek Lower Decks TBD, and I was like, oh. That's weird. they don't have a title yet. they're just calling it to be determined. but no, TBD stands for the Badgy directive apparently. So
1: have you heard anything about this mobile game, Bruce? Really not much. just a, a a few things about it coming out where like you got this rogue Badgie doing something and they're trying the crews like fighting against them to get into the real world.
0: Yeah, it looks pretty interesting. I don't know I've never been a big mobile game player. Uh, other than, I guess, Wordle nowadays. <laughs> I don't know if that counts, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. This looks interesting. Is is this something you look interested in, or is
1: is, is this something you might pick up? Yeah, okay, I, I will definitely try this. I'm not into a lot of these mobile games. I'd like to be, but I'm telling you, and I, I don't know why, but this whole thing about getting coins or diamonds and whatever, building up your strength and what. Like that stuff doesn't really work well for me. <laughs> I'm just always like I, mm-hmm. I, I tried to do that, but I don't know. i I just it doesn't really work for me. I'm just like, what are all these things for? What am I building these for? Oh, now I've got a different weapon or now I've got a different haircut, Like I don't know why. <laughs> why? But if it's something where it's just like playing through the game and that all that stuff doesn't really matter, and it's just and it, if it's real funny, too, like this one I expect would be. This one might work for me. Yeah, well, we'll have to check it out when it comes out. It's uh,
0: scheduled for a worldwide launch later in 2022, and that's all we really have for a timeline. So sometime this year is what they're aiming for, and it's going to be on iOS and Android. So, uh, yeah, we'll bring you that news when it becomes available and maybe check it out and give our little review Uh, If we, uh, if we decide to pick this up, it is free to play by the looks of it. The company that's making it is known for their free to play games. I'm sure there'll be in-app purchases that'll help you along. Like you said, with maybe those little tokens or whatever, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what this is like.
1: Yeah, I'll play it. And I'm just going to be curious to know what the story is. Well, our
0: next bit of news has to do with Bruce, your favorite topic of all time. And that's Star Trek movies. And uh this this little bit of news that kind of came across our desks in the last week apparently the cast of the Kelvin timeline Star Treks are reportedly surprised by the movie announcement and that their characters are planned to be in the next movie which that doesn't bode well for negotiating if if their agents and and they were kind of caught by surprise by this so I don't know. What do you make of this story? This this <laughs> sounds like a little bit of a snafu.
1: Yeah. I mean, when they made the ad announcement and they said they were going to reach out and start ne- negotiations with the actors, it made me wonder if they haven't reached out yet. That's why I'm always like, well, we'll see. I mean, had they made that announcement and they said they were already in talks, then I would feel more confident about the movie. But since they're not in talks and everybody's kind of surprised by this, that means that Paramount doesn't know the schedules of these actors unless they talk to their agents. They don't know their availability. There's a lot of factors that go into this next round of figuring out if we can do a movie. So I I don't know. I guess I'm feeling 50-50 if this movie's going to happen at this point. Once they start talking with the actors and start signing them... I think we stand a good chance. I'd like to hear your opinion. And then I've got a question for you. For sure. Well, this,
0: this story was originally reported by the Hollywood reporter. And one thing that they said, I, I I mean, I'm not really involved in movie negotiations or anything like that. That's really foreign to my world, but they make a point here that by announcing this film to Wall Street investors and saying that, you know, we want the cast and blah, 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 and they haven't negotiated yet. They really feel like they, they've they kind of let go of their leverage in those negotiations. If these actors and their agents know that in order for this film to go forward, they're relying on these actors, that seems to give a lot of leverage over to them, so... I don't know. This seems like it might have been a misstep, but like I said, it's not really my world, so I don't know. I'm I'm trepidatious now. You know, I'm a little worried for all of this. It is this feels like inside baseball stuff that we're not really supposed to have seen. And it kind of is has reeks of seeing how the sausage is made a
1: little bit. At least there's going to be some talks, right? At least they're exploring. And I think that's the thing that you have to take away from these is when they say, Oh, we're going to, we're looking to a movie and Oh, we're, we need to keep it in our heads that this is something they're exploring. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. They're exploring the possibility. So that's what we're doing. We're exploring the possibility of doing another Kelvin timeline movie with this cast. But it may happen, it may not. So my question to you, Dan, is, and I was thinking this today, if they could sign the majority of the cast, but maybe one or two actors do not come on board, would you be good with them proceeding forward, but hiring different actors to play those same parts? Ooh, okay. Yeah. So the, the first half of the question,
0: I was kind of in the mindset, like with just not having a couple of the characters or something, which I would lean more towards than them recasting some parts. I don't know. That's tough. I mean, we've had two Savics, I guess, and that's kind of the example everyone points to, but that's a tough one. Like, okay, here's an outlier example. If they couldn't get Zachary Quinto for some reason, but they got Ethan Peck, I might, be okay with that more than just a whole new actor coming in to play a role because he's a little bit established in that character. Actually, probably at this point more established than Zachary Quinto was as Spock. So yeah, I don't know. It would be a tough sell. That's what I'll say. I would, I would watch it for sure, but it would be a tough sell. I'd, they'd have to do a lot of work to make me feel good about that.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I, I mean, I don't want to see the these original actors come back, but if one of them can't, and I mean, that could be, you know, a different Kirk, a different Uhura. I don't know. But if one of them doesn't come back, I think I would be in favor of them moving forward, maybe with a different actor in that role, mm-hmm. just so we can get the movie with the rest of the cast. Cause to your point, you know, having two different Savics, but at the same time, all these roles have all been recast because we've accepted these actors and not the ones from the original series. Right. So, Mm -hmm. and the fact that it's been six, seven years, you know, by the time this movie comes out, you know, there's like a lot of time there and this is going to be later in their adventures. So I don't know, just that distance there kind of makes it feel like it's a restart in a way to me. Okay. Well, let's
0: extend that question. I'm going to throw it back to you. Because there is one cast member we know for sure will not be in this film. How would you feel about them recasting the role of Chekhov now that Anton
1: Yelchin has passed away? Well, the fact that he passed away is a different situation. And I think Mm -hmm. to honor him in that role is to not recast the role. I think you can move forward with the movie without that role as being a necessary role for a TOS type movie. I mean, because first of all, the character Chekhov wasn't even the first season of T.O.S. So Mm -hmm. and even in the animated series, we didn't have Chekhov and not to say that Chekhov is just a character that, oh, yeah, you can always write off Chekhov. But yeah, I mean, I I think I'd like to see Eric's is what I've really wanted to see. And then just say Mm -hmm. that Chekhov is off on the Reliant and just just mention, you know, he's been promoted. He's first officer on the Reliant, just like we saw in the other movies. And uh, well, not the other movies, I guess, just The Wrath of Khan. But that's the approach I, I would like to see. Now, if, for example, you know, you know, Sulu or Uhura or whatever couldn't be there. But I always feel like you have to at least have Kirk, Spock and McCoy.
0: That's my thought. I, I feel like if they can't get Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto and Carl Urban, I, I don't know if you would want to replace them. The other characters, and by no means this is any meant as any disrespect to John Cho or Simon Pegg or Zoe Saldana or any of the other actors. I feel like they're a little bit more fluid in in how how important they are to the film. I don't know. I feel like people might write us about that one, <laughs> but you know, I I, I don't know. It's a tough one. I I think replacing any of the characters, like I say, it would be a tough sell. I would like to see everybody who's able to be back, but yeah,
1: I mean, I'd watch it. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just feel like Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, whether they're played by, I mean, yeah, I don't wouldn't want to replace all three of those actors, but those three to me are necessary for a mm-hmm. film or a series about the original crew or whatever of the 1701 well i know they're not the original pike's crew but i don't even know how to say it i don't even like saying tos because it's like yeah but they're not in the original series whatever they are but because we've watched the original series and these other characters weren't in every episode scotty Ahura, zulu checkoff chapel on and on and on we're kind of used to that but when it comes to kirk spock and mccoy it's like the three stooges, right? You don't want to have just two of them there. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, to me, those characters really work when all three are there. If there, if there's just two of them, it's not going to work as well to me. Agreed completely.
0: Well, our final piece of news we should move on to is uh, a peek at Star Trek Picard season two on the ready room, which is of course the after show for the Star Trek shows on Paramount Plus, and I should warn you, there are going to be spoilers for Star Trek Picard season two, based on what we saw in that sneak peek. So if you do want to, you can skip ahead to the discovery review if you don't want any spoilers, but uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about what we saw in the sneak peek. And I, I say what we saw, but I actually never got a chance to see the sneak peek. Bruce got to see it. I've only seen like still images from it, but even those still images look pretty enticing. So
1: Bruce, what can you tell us about this sneak peek? Well, first of all, I'm surprised that you haven't seen it. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like you said, spoiler alert, and it's not huge spoilers. It's just the setup of the series of, of this season two. But we do show that Jean-Luc Picard is back to his chateau in France, and it's been a year since uh, the end of season one uh, in this, in the timeline. So a year has passed for these characters, and he's being cared for by Laris at the chateau. Now, nothing is said about Gibbon. So, I don't know if he's around or not, but in the little clips and little trailer we saw, that character was not mentioned. So, I don't know if he just went on holiday or something. I have no idea. But we learned that Admiral Picard is now back into Starfleet. He is heading up Starfleet Academy, and he's also there with Raffi. She's teaching At the academy.
0: Nice bit of continuity because that was the job that was offered to Picard in season one of Star Trek The Next Generation. He was offered to become commandant of
1: Starfleet Academy. So eh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. And, you know, we saw Kirk going that same route, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. The other thing I like about it is Elnor is a cadet. And in the clip we see, they introduce, they call out Elnor as being the first full Romulan to be enrolled at Starfleet Academy. That's pretty cool. That's kind of putting him in the ranks of Wharf, right? The first Klingon. And now we have the first Romulan. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, then we find out uh, Seven of Nine is on the La Serena. She's actually commanding that ship. So Rios doesn't have the ship anymore. Seven has it. And she's back with the Fenris Rangers. So there's this little battle going on when we see this clip, but she also has one of the Rios holograms still activated because the other ones she found too annoying. <laughs> and then we have Soji and Girardi. They are on a diplomatic tour where they're working to have people in the galaxy have trust in the synths. And... uh there's some dialogue there where like Soji is talking about, we're just trying to show everybody that we want to be accepted and normal with everybody else, you know, trying to find their place in the, in the galaxy. And then we see Rios commanding a Starfleet starship full uniform. He's the captain. And we get a nice overhead look at the USS
0: stargazer. The most of the images I've been seeing floating around have been, about this, and, and Doug Drexler has been sharing images and stuff like this. So, this looks really cool. This was a little bit spoiled for me. Uh, yeah, Captain Rios of the Stargazer. Very cool. Yes,
1: yes. So, the ship looks really nice. It looks like a 24th century. Now, 25th century Starship Bridge and corridors. And then we do see an actual clip from an episode. I'm assuming it's from episode one, where there's crewmen running through the corridors and getting on a turbo lift. And there's this whole battle going on. And they come out into the bridge and there's shooting and fighting happening. And Rios is there and Girardi's there. Uh, Seven's there and Picard's there. The fighting then stops. And a woman's voice says something towards Picard, and he turns around, and we don't see who it is, but it's pretty obvious it's the Borg
0: Queen. Dun, dun,
1: dun. <laughs> but what interests me when I was watching this is that they've all gone their separate directions. They're all apart for the, you know, for the most part. I mean, you know, two characters may be together or three may be together at the Academy or whatever, but they've all gone their separate ways. So I'm just interested, like, what brings them all back together? Mm -hmm. Definitely. This looks really cool. I, I love
0: a lot of the imagery we're getting here. I'm eager to see this myself. The one thing I will note is this last, like, year or two has been huge for creating new opportunities. And I put opportunities in quote marks for cosplayers because... Yet another iteration of a new Starfleet uniform, new cadet uniforms. Uh, man, they're really churning out the different new designs of Starfleet uniforms and everything we see between this and Prodigy and the 31st or 32nd century uniforms on Discovery. There's
1: so many new uh, outfits for people to enjoy. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Because you know, we've kind of gotten used to, oh, it's like the same uniform across the board, You know, depending what year it is we see some variations and such, but you know, now we're seeing, yeah, a lot of different uniforms in the same time period.
0: Yeah. Well, this is a time period that no other show is doing. So the, these ones at least are unique. They're in their own time period. No one else is kind of in that time period. Uh, depending on, yeah, we've got Lower Decks and Prodigy kind of in the same-ish time and stuff. Yeah. There's, there's a few. I, I, I'd i love to like map it out and see exactly what the years are where everything is, but these ones at least are off on their own in a, in a separate time period that
1: doesn't intersect with anything else. Yeah. But they sure like to change things, don't they? They're like those engineers. They sure like to change things. They do. After sticking with those monster
0: maroons for like 80 years and then, uh, yeah. TNG era comes along and lots of new uniforms. (laughs) Well, Star Trek Picard, of course, premieres this week. It will be premiering on March the 3rd, along with the 11th episode of Star Trek Discovery. And we'll, of course, be talking about both of those episodes next week. But this week, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 10 of Star Trek Discovery, The Galactic Barrier. And we'll do that right after this brief break.
1: Thank you to you, our listeners, for supporting Positively Track, and to especially our patrons on Patreon. If you would like to contribute to Positively Track and be a patron on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash Track. You'll get perks like early access to episodes and bonus content. And for those who are in the higher levels, you get shout-outs and associate producer credits and much more. And speaking of shout-outs, let's give a shout-out to Carl Morris, Joyce Marin, Jim Stoffel, Dave Garcia... Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, and John Blaber. Thank you all for your support. Now let's go back to the show. Innumerable worlds are counting on us to make first contact and ensure Species 10C stops the DMA before it can
0: do any more harm. It won't be easy, but with this
1: crew, with these leaders and delegates united, I know that we'll succeed. Black Alert!
0: Let's fly. So season four, episode 10, Star Trek Discovery, we have the Galactic Barrier. And I got to say, I was pretty excited when I saw the title of this episode before it came out, because the Galactic Barrier, of course, was right there in the second pilot of Star Trek. It's stretching right back to early Star Trek history. We encountered it another time in the original series after that. And uh, now we've got it coming into the canon here in Star Trek Discovery. So, yeah. Uh, What did you think of this episode? First thoughts watching it on uh,
1: Thursday of last week. So, wow, you really had to ask me this question. Uh, I've watched it twice. So the first time I watched it, I was feeling somewhat the same way I did the week before, where I was just like, You know, this episode and the one before that, just not as excited about. However, I would say, though, the more I thought about it, the more I realized I did like this episode a little better than last week's episode. But the second time I watched it, I think I liked it a little more. I think the thing that's bothering me is just I want to get there with these aliens. (laughs) And I'm tired of the just... Talking about, we need to make contact, we need to get there, we need to make this happen. I'm at a point now where I'm like, I just want to make this happen. And I think some of that has to do with what we've been conditioned to when we watch most Star mm-hmm. Trek, because everything gets resolved in an episode, maybe two episodes, maybe three. But when it plays over a whole season, sometimes I start to get a little antsy, like I'm ready to get there. Does that make sense? I get, yeah, that makes sense for
0: sure. I feel like the episodes in season three and four of Discovery more than the first two seasons have been a little bit more self-contained. Like we've kind of got this overarching thing where we're trying to figure out the DMA and the 10C, but there's kind of these like mini stories in them. And I feel like season one and two, it's harder to differentiate what the episodes were. I'd be like, oh, that's the episode where this happened or that's the episode where this happened. This season I can say things more like oh this is the one where they crossed the galactic barrier and they made it through or like last week's or a couple weeks ago was oh that's where they they met up with book and played poker and that was resolved kind of thing like it feels like there's more resolution this season and last season than previously but to your point I still get it that yeah that that story stretched over 13 episodes yeah, it, it can be a little taxing in that you want to get to that destination. So I definitely feel that for sure. Yeah,
1: and I mean, I remember kind of even feeling that way with Enterprise, with the Zindi arc in some ways, too. Oh, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, the more self-contained episode or storylines within the episodes is what I enjoy the most. And I did enjoy the whole Tarka storyline in this. I probably would have liked a little more of that storyline and a little less of getting through the Galactic barrier because there's a lot of great character moments so i'm not taking away from that but in terms of the story if we're not looking at the tarka storyline but looking at the discovery storyline it's like you said earlier they went through the galactic barrier that's it there really is more story to that is they got through the galactic barrier i mean yes they find out that the dma is going into the alpha quadrant and all that stuff but again that's not the story, the story is they got from one side to the other and I'm just like, mm-hmm. eh, but the Tarka story was the thing that really sold me on this episode. Let's start with talking about
0: Book and Tarka then, because yeah, we get a lot of backstory as to how Tarka finds himself where he is. And we meet this friend that he's talked about in previous episode, Oros. I want to ask, what did you think of Oros, this character?
1: Um, I liked him. I liked the fact that he's this genius and I like putting him next to Tarka, uh, an alien species that I'm not familiar with. So that's cool. And he doesn't have that arrogance like Tarka does. He seems more mild and soft-spoken. And so he's, his personality is different from Tarka's. So I appreciated that because with the two characters working together, they're not the same, right? So, yeah, I like this character. Yeah. So played by Osric Chow,
0: interesting character, a lot of insight into why Tarka is doing what he's doing. And as he says, he, he recognizes that he's made some bad choices and that he's not the best person in the world, but he's still very driven to get this power source to, to get to this alternate reality that he thinks that Oros may have escaped to already and, you know, I'm, I'm still not, I'm obviously not on Tarka's side. I'm not in any way sympathizing with him in any great amount by any stretch. But gaining a bit more understanding into why he's doing what he's doing and what his motivations are, I found really interesting. It softens the character
1: to me. Uh, Because, Mm -hmm. yeah, we have more of an understanding about why he's doing what he's doing, what's motivating him. He's been isolated from people for a long time, so he may not have good social skills. And I think in some ways even his arrogance is a shield to protect his feelings because, you know, he obviously is very emotional about what happened to his friend and wanting to get to this paradise. And he's just, you know, desperate And so with that desperation, I feel like he's just kind of bulldozing through people to get to where he needs to go. Well, last week, the main message of the episode we kind
0: of decided was striving to find that middle ground between positions, right? And I feel like there's a lesson in that in Tarka. And obviously, like I said, I don't agree with him. I don't condone what he's doing. But I hope that there is some way to find this middle ground with him and help him find peace. Because now that we know a little bit more about what's driving him, you know, I'm hoping there's some way that he will find some kind of peace through this story. Uh, Hopefully not by endangering trillions of lives or whatever it is at this point. But, you know, at the same time, I, I don't necessarily want him to fail
1: In his goal of finding his friend, you know? Yeah. It's like you want him to get there and his friend's so nice in a sense that you want him to find, you hope that nothing bad has happened to him and that his friend got to where he needs to go. What I'm curious to see now is how that relationship with book plays out how it may have changed after this experience because book is like us, the audience. And that is looking at this character and saying, now I understand his motivations. I understand more of who he is. So book may relate to, to Tarka a little differently. So I'm curious to see how that plays out in the next episode.
0: Yeah. And with book being as empathetic as he is too. Right. Yeah. That's got to play into it in a big way for sure. Oros. I, I hope we see more of him because I really enjoyed his performance. I, th- I thought it was very understated, very soft. And just, he seemed like someone I would love to get to know, if that makes sense. Yeah. He seemed like a really cool person. And I, I really hope we get to see him again this season. Yeah.
1: I wouldn't mind podcasting with him. He would be great here on the show with us. You know? Oh, yeah. He's got a great podcasting voice. I didn't think of that. By the way, I went to the actor's IMDb page, and there's a video on there of him with this other person, and they're hosting something with a lot of energy. So the actor does seem to uh, be a lot of fun. So, uh, but I didn't get to watch much of it, but I might go check that out. But Oros, when I see that name written down, I think of Oreos because you just put an E in there. It says it would say Oreos. So I Mm. want them to come with Oros Oreos at the store. I want to see that package there at some point.
0: There you go. There's some tie-in marketing. Paramount, you got to get Bruce on the payroll. (laughs) He's got some killer ideas here, guys. Come on. Oh, man, it's killer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the mission to cross the galactic barrier. And we start out with this really interesting scene with everybody kind of sitting around the table with a bunch of translators on the on the desk in front of them. And I remember a big hullabaloo was made last week when the preview images for the episode came out and people are like, hey, there's a Star Trek Picard communicator in front of Kovic. What does it mean? And then in this episode, we see, yeah, there's that, there's a TNG badge, a Deep Space Nine Voyager era badge. There's the like cylindrical translator from the the original series there. There's all these different translation equipment and they're kind of there just kind of incidentally as like, here's a bunch of universal translators. They might be completely useless in communicating with the 10C. So I thought that was kind of a neat little, I guess, sort of Easter eggs for the all this Trekkies to to obsess over until we
1: actually see the episode. Yeah. Again, it's one of those, I love it and hate it things. Like I love seeing that stuff, but at the same time I'm like, boy, we do these little callback little Easter eggs a little, you know, too often in these shows. Now, I mean, <laughs> if you go back to the older shows, you may get something like the every once in a blue moon, but I feel like we get something almost all the time, but at the same time, it's fun. Right. And it, mm-hmm. it ties it all together. It feels like it, it all ties together. And so I love seeing it. So it's cool. There's one, th- I'm saving this for later. There's one thing that, that they did in this episode that I didn't like, but, but we'll get to that later.
0: Well, in this scene, we also meet Dr. Harai, who uh, is apparently a Xeno linguist expert, and he's going to be accompanying Discovery on this mission to contact the 10C. And Dr. Kovic apparently is not because he uses that line that I've, I feel like I've heard in like a ton of different movies and shows where he says, uh, I, I want to come with you, but there are things here that require my attention or something like that. And I'm kind of with the, the representative of earth who says like, what could possibly be more important than this? You know, why are, why aren't you going? And is it really that big a deal? And he's like, well, I, I, Intend to make sure it isn't or something. What
1: the heck is going on there? I don't know. This guy I've always been suspicious on. Like, I keep expecting we're going to find out something about him. And we haven't really gotten to that thing. Like, I remember the last season it was like, oh, could he be from the mirror universe? You know, because he seems Mm -hmm. to have knowledge about that. And, but there was something in this episode that made me go back to that. What is up with this guy? Because it's like, why is he staying behind? Well, is it because he's going to work on this communication array thing or something to get, you know, communicate through the galactic barrier with Bryce? And so that's why he's staying behind. That's more important, maybe. Mm -hmm. But it just makes me suspicious as there's always something there. And then when he says a three hour tour. (laughs) Yes. That really stood out to me because I thought, okay, that's a Gilligan's Island callback. So sure, they could still be. Doing that in the 32nd century, but it made me think, is he immortal? Has he been around for a long time and he's lived on earth in the 20th century? And like, all of a sudden my head went there. Like he may be this immortal guy and that's why he knows more, you know, a lot of things about the mere universe and other things because he lived through those times. I don't know. Or maybe he's just a historian and simple as that, you know? (laughs)
0: Yeah, I I don't know. I've I've seen a lot of people speculating online, people wondering, yeah, like you, is he immortal? Did he live that long or is he a time traveler? Is he just originally from the 20th century or something like that? And as just a little bit of Star Trek trivia note, I can't remember which starship it is and it's certainly not legible on screen. But one of the dedication plaques for a starship in TNG, I want to say like the Sutherland or the Phoenix or something like that. The quote at the bottom on the Enterprise, of course, it's to boldly go where no man or where no one has gone before. On this ship, it was a three hour tour, a three hour tour. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh really? That's interesting. Just as a as a little in joke put in by the the set designers, right? Yeah, and probably Mike Okuda or Denise Okuda or somebody like that. But
1: yeah, it's it's there. So it's there. So yeah, maybe it's just a Star Trek universe thing. People say it for centuries. Three hour tours. <laughs> you know, it's it's weird too to me that like I, I guess I just was thinking why why did they why did they decide to do that the writers why would they put that in there and maybe it's like nothing just they thought was cute or funny but then i was like Mm -hmm. what's the connection between gilligan's island and star trek that i'm not getting you know i start thinking like that and i'm like well they weren't even the same studio i don't think so i don't know anyway it's probably nothing the other thing is i have heard the phrase
0: divorced from gilligan's island like i've heard people use it and they didn't even know it was from Gilligan's Island. Mm. They've just heard it used as like a, a short little, it was supposed to be a short little trip. Oh, it was just supposed to be a three hour tour and blah, blah, blah. I get the feeling like they didn't even know it was from Gilligan's Island. It's just something they repeated. So yeah. eh, you never it know. It could
1: be Kovitch doesn't know about Gilligan's Island, but he just knows that phrase.
0: Yeah, I don't know that it would have lasted a thousand years, (laughs) but you never know. Now I want to rename our podcast Three Hour Tour. There you go. Absolutely. Well, like I said, in this scene, we also meet Dr. Harai, and
1: we kind of noted something about him. This guy likes to munch on stuff. (laughs) That was one of those things where I was thinking is this something that they had decided to do in the script or the director, or is this something the actor just said, let me just eat all the time. And they thought they like that <laughs> because it's funny when they're having that conference and he's doing that. It's like, okay, you know, there's some food there, but then, then that when he's on discovery later and he's like, they're all in this crisis of like, oh, are we going to make it through the galactic barrier? Oh, look, guess what's happening to earth and Navarre. And he's like, yum 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 yum. Yeah. Maybe just a, a little
0: character quirk. I, I did note it at the beginning. And again, like you said, there's food on the table in front of everybody. So it feels like they've had a meal and it's just ended or something. And he's just, you know, munching on some remnants kind of thing. But yeah, later on, <laughs> they're all just sitting around listening to the news or or whatever. And just reaches over and pops another one of these things in his mouth and munches away (laughs) just like okay all right guy likes to eat that's cool
1: (laughs) i have to admit though i kind of relate to that because a lot of times i'll go to meetings and maybe they'll have a little snacks or something on the table and then i'll notice nobody's eating them and i'm like i want to eat the snacks and i'll be the first I have to admit it. Mm -hmm. And maybe that then prompts somebody else to have it. But there's times I am the only one. (laughs) I'm just like, (laughs) why is anybody eating snacks? There's Oreos on the table. Yeah, it's
0: evil because if it's there, I'll eat it. So I I relate to this guy as well, for sure. (laughs) Okay,
1: so you and I would be eating together if we're ever in a situation like that.
0: Yeah, but I'd probably be sitting there waiting for you to go first. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go first. Awesome. Thank you. I can always count on you for that. Well, uh, two characters that started out a little uh, kind of at odds, but come to a better understanding in this episode are Burnham and President Rillick. And Rillick decides to go along with Discovery because they have to leave quickly And some of the delegates haven't arrived yet to board Discovery. So she decides that she's going to go on this mission and represent the Federation and turns over power to the vice president. And as soon as she said she was going to be on Discovery, my mind flashed back to the last time at the start of the season when she was on Discovery and she was questioning Burnham's orders on the bridge and note as they mentioned in this episode, asking a question and questioning are not the same thing, but in the middle of a crisis, both of them are pretty bad to do in front of a crew. So I love that she and Burnham had this discussion and Burnham was like, okay, I need to put some ground rules down here. If you're on the bridge, you can't be questioning my orders in front of the crew, introducing doubt in a crisis situation is a recipe for disaster. So I I really liked that conversation and them kind of coming to that understanding and realizing which what each of them is in charge of and where
1: they shouldn't be kind of putting their nose in. It does feel like they're more and more on the same page, that they know how to work together, they know how each other's thinking and where they're going to go with it. It's like, I understand you, you understand me. We may not always agree, but we know how to play this out. We know our relationship now. And I love towards the end of the episode where Burnham's saying, you're my president, you know, that respect there. And you can just see the respect between these two women with each other. And they have that common ground. And Burnham's like, you know, if we can't communicate with each other, how do we, how do we expect to communicate with anyone else you know especially this this these alien race that we're trying to go see i'm really appreciating how the writers are slowly building the relationship between these two and it's really working well
0: yeah i it's to the point now i think burnham might actually vote for her in the next election and that's huge that's definitely didn't
1: wasn't where i thought they were at the start of the season no no (laughs) i think uh It wouldn't surprise me by the time the series ends that Burnham's the president. Huh. That's not where I thought you were going with that sentence.
0: (laughs) All right. It's just something (laughs) I've had in
1: the back of my mind recently.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, we'll see. So en route to the galactic barrier, and just before they enter the galactic barrier, we get word from Admiral Vance, or there's a classified message for the president and Burnham from Vance saying that the DMA has moved and now it's uh, moving towards Navarre and Earth. So there's a huge threat to the birthplace of a lot of the people on Discovery. And there's this disagreement between Burnham and Rillick over whether they should inform the crew of this or not. And I love the role that that plays in their relationship. By the end of the episode, the president has come around to Burnham's point of view on that and is the one to inform the crew and the delegates of the threat. And I love that scene where Burnham prompts, the president says, you go ahead and and tell them, which leads to that, that line you were saying, you're my president because Burnham says people like to hear that the people in charge are in charge and have a firm hand on the wheel and are not broken by the events that they they have a clear head and they're willing to lead us through this and Burnham needed to hear that as well is kind of the inference there and I really loved that moment between them it so
1: works w- very well to have this threat at this point approaching Earth Navarre, Titan. And having that moment where the crew really starts to feel the weight of this and to have that exchange between Burnham and the president and having that announcement take place on the ship. But at the same time, this is the part that I was saying earlier that I don't like. I so appreciated that we had some galactic threat out there going on. And this time it doesn't affect Earth because it doesn't have to affect (laughs) Earth. Right. It's just as important if it's affecting other planets. It doesn't matter if it's Earth or not. Lives are being lost, so we don't have to have a threat on Earth all the time. And when that was said on here, it's now approaching Earth. I was like, oh, gosh, no, come on. I really like that you guys are staying away from that. But it works well for this episode. So, I mean, it's not that I dislike it that much. It's just, I was, I appreciated the fact that they were staying away from another disaster approaching earth.
0: I definitely get that. And I I hadn't thought of that, but that makes sense. I can definitely appreciate that. The one thing I will say, I do like that there was a little bit more depth added to it in that we saw the characters of the show kind of affected more by it rather than just assuming that like the audience is going to go oh, because it's earth. So yes, I don't know. No, You're right. But, but I do get that. I do understand that like deep space nine, for example, I guess in the final season, they did have the Breen attack earth, but for the most part, they steered clear of that. And like the dominion invades beta Z at one point. And to me, that's a, that's a big oh, moment. Because, you know, that's the home world of a, of a character that we love and, and stuff, you know. So, I, yeah, I might have preferred that they stay away from that as well. But I, I guess it was kind of inevitable,
1: wasn't it? Yeah, I guess. I mean, because I, I never believed that it was never going to be a threat to Earth. I just figured that, you know, if they didn't do anything to stop the DMA, then, yeah, maybe, you know, years from now it could get to Earth. And, you know, but I just didn't want it to be now. You know, I didn't want the Mm. threat to Earth to be so immediate. But man, in Star Trek, Earth gets through a lot of threats. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm (laughs) I'm glad we're pretty safe from the outside of our world. I mean, we have our own issues on our world, but we're not getting galactic threats since the dinosaur age when the asteroid or whatever collided with the Earth. Yeah. Nowadays, if some whale probe showed up, we'd be.
0: S O L right (laughs) (laughs) right right.
1: What would we do? We don't have
0: a Starfleet or Admiral Kirk to save
1: us. Yeah, what would we do with a uh, or V'ger or the DMA? Like we'd be screwed now. Yeah, luckily there's a Starfleet and all
0: that. When when most of these come around, Mm, how convenient. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Well, another character who comes along on Discovery, although we don't realize it at first is the president of Navarre, Tarina. And I, I do have to say, I appreciated the shot of Tarina when they said that the DMA is now threatening Navarre. I love that we get to see her perspective a little bit as well there, but Tarina's presence on the ship is a little upsetting to one of our characters Saru, who just kind of bared his soul to Tarina and, and said, you know, oh, I, I kind of like you and, and this friendship has meant so much. And I thought maybe there's something a little more there. And while he's waiting for her response, of course, the aide comes up and is like, Madam President. She's like, oh, excuse me, I, I have to go. And poor Saru, <laughs> sitting there with his heart open to the world and just like, uh, And uh, now he has to sit in meetings with her and doesn't know. Oh, it's so awkward. He can't imagine anything more awkward. That was so adorable. We've got this DMA that's threatening all the life of the galaxy. And poor Saru is just like, oh, I'm awkward around this girl I like. I love it.
1: I know. I love how he <laughs> says about, you know, their relationship probably being more than friends. And then, like you said, she just walks up and you're like, oh, poor Saru. He's just left hanging there. Like, oh, uh, what does she think? Like, no response. Doesn't know what that means. But he's doing this, too, because he knows he's going off on this mission. And he doesn't know if he'll ever see her again. And who knows mm-hmm. when he'll see her again. So he's putting his heart out there. And then to your point, then she stays on the ship. That's my favorite Saru moment of the episode when he's just saying to Colbert, like, I didn't know she was going to be here. Like I <laughs> wouldn't have done it if I knew she was going to be here. I've got to see her in meetings now. And Colbert's just like, S- you know, beginning of her relationships are always awkward. <laughs> I love that.
0: <laughs> that was a great scene. Oh, yeah, that scene between Seru and Culber was lovely. I, I I flashed back to the awkwardness of, you know, first crushes and first loves and that whole, you know, does she like me? Does she not like me? I don't know. That was kind of fun. And it's great to see Seru, who's gotten to this point where he's so dignified and so together and so calm and collected, to see him kind of shaken and, and knocked for a loop, not in a bad way, but just in in this kind of more fun way that that's really fun for his character.
1: I, I, I really enjoyed that. And I really do love the actress who plays Tarina. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I don't know her name off the top of my head, but I think she does a great job on that balance of playing a Vulcan, but a Vulcan's a little different. Well, I mean, I assume she's Vulcan. I mean, she could be Romulan, whatever, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, we're at a different point in history when it comes to Navarre And the unification of the Romulans and the Vulcans there. And so, yes, she has that suppressed emotions, but she does kind of have some on, you know, a little on the front. You know, it's just, it's like just right there on the surface. And she does that so well. Yeah.
0: Tara Rosling is the actor who plays Tarina. And the scene also towards the end where everyone has found out about the threat to Navarre and Earth where she sits with Saru in the bar and says will you please sit with me i find your presence comforting and i i don't know i feel like we get a little maybe sort of resolution to does she share the feelings because i i feel like she does you know we've we've seen the flirtations over the course of the season so far I feel like there's some good things in store for these two characters. And that scene was just really sweet where, you know, you take away all of the pretensions of the, you know, oh, I'm, can we be more than friends and blah, blah, blah. And that's not directly answered, but she says, you're a comfort to me in this moment. Let's just spend this time together. I love it. That's so lovely.
1: Yeah. And that, that is Saru though, right? I mean, I think spending time with Saru would give someone comfort. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of a soothing character, right? And I was so disappointed in a way because when she said that and they go to sit down, I was like, oh, I really can't wait to see how this scene plays out. And then it <laughs> ends. I was like, whoa, no, this one, play this one out. So I was a little disappointed they didn't go there, but I'm sure they're saving something for the next episode. But yeah, I was really like, ooh, Oh, I want to hear this conversation, and yeah. then nope, end scene. Always leave them <laughs> wanting more. That's right.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure we'll see more of this play out, and and I can't see. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to make predictions. I don't know. I, I yeah, let's just wait and see what happens. I guess.
1: Well, you know my prediction from a couple episodes ago.
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I guess the last thing we want to talk about is kind of uh, the whole crossing of the Galactic Barrier, which, again, we haven't seen since the original series. Uh, And you kind of mentioned this wasn't your favorite part of it. It was just kind of like a get to A, get to B, get to C with some techno babble thrown in, I guess.
1: I don't know. So this, this wasn't your favorite part of the episode. It wasn't. But the second time I watched it, I enjoyed it more. Hmm. So maybe because I knew that we weren't going to get any big resolution from that at the end, except they just get through. I was just enjoying the whole journey a little more than I was the first time. I I do like how the galactic barrier is designed a little different from what we've seen in previous Star Trek. I like to think that maybe the galactic barrier can look different at different parts of the galaxy, depending where you approach it maybe it if makes you sense. need to if you need to make it all make sense sure yeah because <laughs> I think
0: Stamets or somebody says this particular portion of the galactic barrier has higher levels of yada yada what's- it's than than previously recorded or something so yeah that makes sense
1: yeah but the idea of them going into the cells like that and that that was that was a clever thing never expected to see anything quite like that so I mean I, I enjoyed it. But yeah, I mean, it's just not, there's a lot of story there for me. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense for
0: sure. Uh, we did get to see the return of Adira very briefly as well. A couple scenes with them remodulating forward shields. I guess that was the, the task assigned to them. And, and then we see them later in engineering with Stamets. Some nice Stamets moments. kind of father figure. I enjoyed that. That was kind of cute.
1: I always figured when that character returned that it would be... The, the focus of the episode would be more on that character, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to they just returned and there's a few scenes. I just expected something more like and but again, maybe we'll get something, you know, in the next episode or something after that focuses on the whole relationship with Gray and being apart. So, yeah, yeah, I'm waiting to see that play out. For sure. Well, for more on the character of Adira Tall, check out the
0: recent release of Star Trek Discovery Adventures in the 32nd Century, issue number one, all about Adira, a new uh, comic series that's just launched. So, Actually, I think it's issue number two. Is I it think. number two? Oh, Grudge was issue number one. That's right. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, final thoughts for the Galactic Barrier. Oh,
1: wow. I think... Uh... I really like the Tarka storyline. That was interesting to me. And, of course, going through the Galactic Barrier was, you know, kind of fun. But, again, not a big story. But I think, you know, it really comes down to characters. So A-plus with different character moments. And A-plus for the Tarka backstory being revealed to us. But overall, as a story as a whole for this episode, I'm going to say... I'm giving it seven out of 10 herding cats. Ooh, nice. This this episode
0: had a few old-timey Earth sayings, I guess. Yeah, I like that. I generally enjoyed the episode. The visual effects, of course, are stunning. Like, that's just a given at this point. The character moments, though, are, are what shined for me as well. And I loved the little bits we got with Saru and Tarina and Burnham and Rillick. I love the forward momentum on that relationship. And of course, Book and Tarka, but more than that, even Tarka and Oros and getting that backstory. I really enjoyed that. So kind of on the same page with you about that for sure. Uh, So yeah, I I enjoyed this one. I'm going to give it one really bright, colorful cell that whooshes you right through the galactic barrier and uh, gets you safely to the other side. Safe and sound. Well, we kind of know where the next episodes are going. It looks like they're a little bit mapped out, right? Because we've got this this area of space that's hidden. That's where the 10C are, but there's this planet that's nearby. So Discovery's going to go there. I feel like that's going to be, we're going to find out what that's all about in the next episode. And I worry a little bit that it's going to get overshadowed by the Star Trek Picard premiere next week. So, well, we'll definitely have to give equal weight to both of them because I'm really interested to see where discovery goes. But of course, Picard is coming. So I'm really excited about that
1: too. So much Star Trek. Ah, yeah. man. I, I'll say this. I don't think this is going to happen at all, but this thought just occurred to me. This, Three These three weeks where we have double episodes coming out, it would be interesting that as you're watching Discovery, there's a story element in these final three episodes that you're seeing play out in the first three episodes of Picard. Like there's some link between them. I don't think there's going to be, but that would be really cool. I love how
0: much everyone looks for these little links. And I really, I, I don't think... There's going to be very many, if any, but like, I remember a lot of people talking about, oh, the, the, the power source for the protostar in Prodigy, that's going to turn out to be something to do with the DMA and Discovery and Species 10C. And I'm just like, oh, that's, that's funny. I love seeing everybody try and figure that out. That said, that would be cool if they did plan that out. And there's some sort of link between those three episodes and it's all revealed in like the discovery season four finale and Picard episode three. And you're like, Oh,
1: I did not see that coming. Wow. So eh, you never know. You never know. It might, I'm not expecting it, but man, if it happens, I'll be blown
0: away. That would be pretty cool. Well, when you're not blown away by plot twists in star Trek, where can people find you online?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex And on so, yeah, it's on Twitter and also Instagram, but without the underscore, so it's just Admiral Rex. And then you can also email me at Admiral underscore Rex at Yahoo dot com. And then you can find me in our Goodreads group about our book reviews on the book club and in our Facebook group online or discussion group. And where else? Yeah, occasionally on the Star Report and Literary
0: Treks. Awesome. You can find me on Twitter at KurtRatz. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S, youtube.com slash Productions, And, of course, as Bruce mentioned, in the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook, where there's probably a flame war happening right now. No, I'm just kidding. It's actually very positive, and everyone gets along really well. So come join us there if you love reasonable happy Star Trek discussion that's definitely the place for it and of course you can reach out to the show positivelytrek at gmail.com and contact us on patreon patreon.com slash positivelytrek if you're interested in helping us out financially thank you so much for listening this week we really look forward to talking about Picard and Discovery and all the week's Star Trek news next week until then as always Stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.